Amen. Good morning. The Lord is good, isn't he? I love that. I, I uh, want to give a, a shout out. I know I, I, Sam had mentioned that Jeanette is with us, and I'm so happy to see her. But uh, I also know that today, not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today, today, Jeanette, uh, Janine, rather, and J.O., are celebrating their 62nd anniversary. They got married when they were two. Uh, and I know that Pastor Sam had mentioned that there wasn't much change with, um, in, in Florida with with fall, but I have to disagree because I love fall in Florida where we see the changing of the color of the license plates. Uh, it's, it's a great time. So welcome, welcome to those that are online. I want to talk to you this morning, not, not very long, but I want to talk to you about being in it to win it. Being in it to win it. Why get involved in anything if you don't think you're in it to get the grand prize? I know a few years ago, uh, we, Nancy and I were traveling through Vicksburg, Mississippi. Anybody ever been to Vicksburg, Mississippi? Yes, it's, it's a great place. There, there is a, one of the biggest battles in the Civil War, one of the most important battles in the Civil War was fought in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and they were fighting over control of the Mississippi River. Because that's where you could get your ammunition and your supplies up and down the river. And they were encamped. And the the battle started on May 18th. You had the Confederates on one side. You had the Union Army on the other side. And the Union Army ended up winning. But the battle started on May 18th. Finished when they surrendered on July 4th. Now, if you've ever, we've, we're in Florida, so we understand those four words, humidity. Can you imagine what it was like fighting in that, in that battle for that long? In fact, the same time that they were battling uh, Gettysburg was uh, was taking place, and in between the two, it, it gave the Union Army the opportunity to go on to victory. So it, it's really amazing. It was a turning point for the Union Army, and, and, and you can drive through the 16-mile the drive, and they have monuments of, of which infantry was here and which infantry was there. And as you drive through, if you listen closely, you can almost hear the cannons. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's one, of those, it's one of those historic places that you know that, that men fought and died. And, and, you know, it's one of those things that I, I just show reverence to, you know, because it's, it's whatever whatever reason that there is a, a battle when, when there's a place where people have lost their lives, I stop and show respect. But I had a thought. I had a thought about that. If the Union Army 
and the Confederate Army knew the outcome of the war, would they have changed the way they fought? If the Union Army knew that they were going to win the war, praise God they did, would they have changed the way they fought? If the Confederate Army knew that they were going to lose the war, would they have just given up on day one? If the battle started on May 18th, would they have surrendered on May 18th? Or maybe even on May 17th? You see, there's, there's an important question and there's an important thing about the human condition. People tend to slack off of their duties and responsibilities when times are good and outcomes seem certain. It's a human condition. IBM, back in the 60s, they were the king of computers. In fact, when we sent a, a people to the moon, it was IBM. They had the hardware. They had the, 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 the uh, ability. They had the technology. And they decided because times were good, because they were king, and there was nobody on the horizon to give them any competition, they decided to set back on their laurels, on their past success, and decided that, that nobody was ever going to compete with them because they were on top. Anybody own an IBM? See, human condition, the way we think, the way we act, the way we react is we fight and we scrap when the outcome is less certain. When we feel like we have an opportunity to help change the course of history, change the course of our life, change the, the destiny of somebody else or our family, when we believe that we have a say in what is going to happen, that's when we roll up our sleeves and we get to work. But if you, see, if you feel like, oh, nothing ever changes and... and you know, or, or in an election, if you feel like your vote doesn't count, people just have a tendency to give up. It's part of the human condition. It's part of, uh, in, in our society, we, we are facing many obstacles and, and many opportunities in, in, our, in our society to make a difference, to make a change. And the change will come and the opportunities will, will see themselves and, and you will advance if and only if you see that, that you have an opportunity to make a difference. In the 16th century, I wasn't there, but I've read the church in the 16th century, the Christian church in the 16th century almost lost out. And you say, well, it's not going to lose out because we know, we know that, that the church is going to be victorious. And yes, you are right and you are correct. But in the 16th century, uh, 
the followers of John Calvin and, and his focus on, on predestination alone, and, and, and I'm, not saying, I'm not speaking against predestination, I'm not speaking against uh, uh, free will, I'm just saying if you focus on one or the other, you're wrong. Because is it predestination or free will? And I'm going to say, yes, it is. Because if you feel like you understand it, I would, I would consider, and I don't say this lightly, I would consider examining yourself because if you understand this concept, then you're saying you really understand God. And to be honest, I'm the first and the foremost to say, I don't understand God. He's too big. Praise the Lord. For my little finite mind, I am so glad that he is great, that he can give us free will and knows what's going to happen all at the same time. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Don't you love serving a God that says, I'm going to line everything out and I'm going to give people choice and they get to do what they want and at the end of the day, I'm going to get what I want. That's God. But when we focus on one side or the other, that's when we, that's when we have a tendency to, to allow our mind to slip and, and, we, and we can go down a path that we don't need to go down. And it was John Calvin that once said, propagation of the Christian faith is the sole responsibility of the Christian government. Think about that. Now, wait a minute. I thought Jesus told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the Great Commission. How could we get to that place that, that we feel that, that, that the propagation uh, of the Christian faith is the responsibility of Christian government? Thank God for the Anabaptists. Anna just means re, and they, they were the ones that came in and said, no, we're going to rebaptize, and they were the ones that actually brought in uh, that, that baptism of believers, that you had to be a certain age to understand, and they were baptized that way. They didn't do infant baptism, but they were on the same group that said, no, wait a minute. God called us to go out and to preach the gospel, and they were the ones at the forefront of the modern uh, missionary movement. We are the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and, and we send people out throughout the world. And by the way, uh, Marty and Gloria sent me a message. They are in Milan, Italy, and they are doing well. So. I said, get some dry ice and send me that gelato. But it was, it was the Anabaptists that, that actually got us started and said, well, wait a minute, we don't want to just focus on, on, uh, on just saying, well, God is sovereign and God is everything because we know they had read the end of the book and they knew that God was in charge and God was going to win. And I don't know about you, but I've read the end of the book and I get really excited about what's going to happen. I get really excited about the trumpet sounding and the dead in Christ rising and, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I get excited about the marriage supper of the Lamb. I get excited about coming back with Christ riding white horses and, and being able to see the devil thrown into a bottomless pit. I get excited about Christ establishing his kingdom on earth and we get to help rule and reign with him. 
I get excited about having a new body that will not get tired, that will not get old, that I don't have to worry about COVID or any other disease. I get excited about serving the Lord. I get excited about having a body that doesn't have a, a, a sinful nature that when I think of something, it's always going to be good. I don't know about you, but I get excited. I read, the, I read the end of the book, but here's the truth. If, if I know who wins the war, the church, because we're the body of Christ. I get it. I understand it. I comprehend it. Man, I live for it. I dream about it. I wake up and say, God, is this the day? But I also know that's the war. It's not the battle. Are you with me? We know God's going to win. That does not give his people, you and I, license to say, he's winning. Let's go eat gelato. We're in a battle. The Civil War, World War I, World War II, any war. Thank God that the Allies won World War II, but we did not win every battle. But we did win the war. We know God is going to win the war. But what about the battle that you are in right now? What about the battle that you're facing with your health. What about the battle that you're facing with your finance? What about the battle you're facing with your spiritual condition? What about the battle that we are that we are waging right now in the United States of America? What about the battle? Are we going to, to abdicate our responsibility to to pro uh, to pronounce that Christ is sovereign, or are we going to just get into this battle and are we in it? to win it. You see, there's a unity that we have. The church abdicates its responsibility when we do not accept the call to bring the gospel to the whole world. You say, well, what can I do? I'm so glad you asked. The church has, has to, must, Rise to the form that Christ has made us in. It is the church. It is you and I that carry the presence of God. Let's, let's be real. Can I be real for a moment? And I'm not meddling. I'm not stepping on toes or anything else. But if you, if you or me or anyone else, any other Christian is looking at, at a, a party of government to legislate morality or to make us a Christian nation that we are doing the same thing that they did in the 16th century and we're relying upon the, the efforts of man and we're not relying and having our faith in God. It's when we decide that it is the church that brings. It's, you know, the scripture says that righteousness exalts a nation. It's the church that brings in the presence of God. It's, it's, 
Paul that said, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God lives in you? It doesn't live over there and it doesn't live over there, but it lives in the hearts of men and women. And if you want the presence of God in the world, you have to go into the world. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the church that brings holiness and righteousness. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. We know who wins the war. But I say today, let's win this battle. And we will win this battle on our knees in prayer. We're going to win this battle when we decide that if God is for us, who can be against us? We are going to win this battle when we understand that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. You know, the amazing thing about trusting God and following God is he doesn't always give us the answers and he doesn't always tell us how everything is going to work out. That's where that element of faith comes in. And I, I've wondered sometimes, well, God, why don't you just tell me the outcome of this circumstance? That way I can just walk through it with with joy and he doesn't do that because it's the faith and trusting in him that that helps us understand that that we can roll up our sleeves and we can get involved and we can make a difference around us if God told us everything that was going to go on I think we, our human condition is such that we would have a tendency to kind of sit back and do nothing Psalm 50. I'm not going to preach very long. In fact, I'm almost finished. Can I get an amen? Uh, psalm 50 is an amazing psalm. King David wrote it, and, and, he, and he's, he's speaking, and God is actually speaking to Israel. Israel had gone through a time of, of, of uh, blessing and they had kind of slacked off on serving God. And, and here is King David, and he's writing. And if you read this one way, you think God is really mad. But if you read it another way, you think God is just telling you, this is what's going to happen. If you go this way, this is what's going to happen. If you go this way, that's what's going to happen. And it's almost like a courtroom where, where, where God is the judge, and he's also the prosecutor. And there is no jury. And, and I look at this, it's not God saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you. It's God saying, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. In all the years that I taught school, I never, ever, not one time did I ever give a detention. I had a lot of students earn them. But I never gave them. And that's the same way what God is saying. You can earn this, or you can earn this. Let's read it, and then I want to talk to you briefly about two things in it. It said, the mighty one, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. That's pretty powerful, don't you think? From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Let's go on. Our, our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth, and, and he that he may judge his people. Let's go on. 
Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Now look, you have to understand here he says, I'm the creator of the heavens and the earth. I, I do all things and now I'm summoning my people together. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness for he is a God of justice. Let's go on. He said, listen, my people. Uh, sometimes when I'm reading scripture, I, I replace like my people with my name. It's like, listen, Jesse, and I'll speak. Which means I got to stop talking and listening. So he said, listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am your God. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. He's saying, what you bring before me, men, I have no argument with. He said, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. He's saying, listen, I don't need what you bring. Let's go on. He said, I know every bird in the mountains. There's a bird back there on the back part of the, of the property I wish God would move. And the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Look at that. For the world is mine and all, 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 an inclusive word that means everything is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Let's go on. Sacrifice, thank offerings to me, fulfill your vows to the Most High, stand and, stand and, and, call, and, and, I, and call on me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you and you will honor me. But to the wicked person, God says, what have you uh, to recite my, you had to go back a little bit. There you go. To recite my laws and take my covenant from your lips. Let's go on. You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. Let's go on. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. Let's go on. When you did these things and I kept silence, you thought I was exactly like you, but I now, now arraign you and set my accusations before you. Let's go on. Consider this. You who forget God, or I will tear you in pieces with, with no one to rescue you. Look at verse 23. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. See, you can read this passage of Scripture and you can say, man, God is really mad, but God is not. What he is really saying is, listen, you, you've, you've offered me sacrifices, but you've offered them to me in two different ways. And what I want you to understand that if you correct those two ways, that anything that comes against you, I'm going to take care of. And, 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 and when you offer these thank offerings and honor me, that I will be there and I am going to show you the way of salvation. And you say, well, what are those two ways? And for, for time's sake, I'm going to simply tell you that the very first one is formalism. You're just bringing your offerings. It's just kind of like 
going through the motions. Have you ever done that? The Lord, Lord forgive me, but, and, and as a pastor, but I have to say, not, not in this church, um, but I have, over the 30 plus years of pastoring, I have found myself falling into going through the motions. I'm going to go to church because it's the thing I do. You ever been there? It's easy to fall into, isn't it? We usually fall into that when times are easy and we feel the outcome is certain. You ever notice when times are difficult, we find ourselves on our knees before God? And God is telling Israel, listen, times are easy, everything's great. However, your heart is not in it. You're just going to go. And God said, I don't want you to do that. King David, the one that wrote this, understood it as well as anybody. The Bible says in 2 Kings, that when, that when, or 1 Kings rather, that when kings go out to battle, David stayed home. Things were going so well for King David and, and for Israel that he decided that he wasn't going to lead the army. He was going to allow somebody else to lead the army. And he was a little tired, so he was just going to stay home. He should have been out fighting the fight, but instead, because times were easy and because the outcome seemed certain, David decided, I'll just rest a little bit. And when David stayed home, when he should have been out fighting with a passion and a fervor and a zeal in his heart, David was at home being complacent, being indifferent to the things of God. And he was out on his rooftop probably getting some sun. And he looked over and saw Bathsheba taking a bath. And the story goes that he committed adultery and then committed murder. And you say, how could he do that? The dangers of complacency. If your heart's not in it toward God, your heart will move toward something else. God is telling Israel, make sure, make sure that your heart is in it. See, the giants fall when we're in the fight. Goliath didn't fall because David was indifferent. Goliath fell because David had a passion to follow God. The lion and the bear were destroyed by the hands of David because God came upon him and he wasn't being complacent. He was passionate about serving. You know, and it's you know, that's the great thing about right now. We don't have to be formal. We don't have to just kind of go through the emotions and the rituals of salvation and about church. This is the church of God. This is, this is the presence of God in the earth. And there is nothing that can stop the spirit and the presence of God in this earth when God's people have a passion in their heart to win the battle. We know we have the war through the blood of Christ. But what about the battles we're facing with our families? What about the, the, the battles with our friends and with our community? And if we get in and we get involved, greater is he that's in you. We can win the battle and we can win the war. 
How do we do that? We find that place in prayer. <coughs> where we get beyond the formal prayer. Oh, great Heavenly Father, I beseech Thee. You see my need. I'm not talking about that prayer. I'm talking about the prayer where you get to the place that the tears flow and you lose you lose the ability to articulate with words and you just simply say God save my family and as the scripture says, it looks for people to make up the hedge and, 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 and to fill in the gap and, and to laying between the porch and the altar and saying, God, spare your people. God is looking for men and women that will passionately begin to pray, that will passionately begin to get into that, that place of prayer where it revolutionizes not only our lives, but those around us. Because if prayer is anything to the child of God, it is everything to the child of God. It is communicating with the Almighty. And he said, come unto me, you know, in, in your time of need, come unto me, and I will listen, and I will answer. Prayer. Let's get involved. Let's, let's, let's decide that we're no longer going to be formal in our relationship with God, and we're not going to come in and just sing with not without our heart or, or speak with, without the passion of God. But there, there is a time that, that comes in the lives of people, and we are there now that God's people, if you really want this nation to turn around, you have to get to the place that you roll up your sleeves and you get on your knees and you say, God, save this nation. God, save this people. Because nobody else can save it. Nobody else can win this battle. This battle will come. Victory will come when God's people rise up. Second thing that, that he spoke of not was not, not just formalism, <coughs> but hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is looking the part and acting the part, but not having the heart. Remember Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts? They go off and sell a piece of land, and they decide, hey, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep some of it for me, and I'm going to give some of it to the apostles. If they would have walked up to the apostles and said, here's three-fourths, here's half, here's ten percent of what I sold this land for, here you go, you can have that, I'm keeping the rest. God would have said nothing. But they walked in and they said, is this everything? And he said, yes it is. Because I want to look like everybody else and I want to talk like everybody else and I want everybody to see me as a passionate, committed individual and yet his heart was far from it. And God said, I can't take hypocrisy. Scripture tells us to stir up that gift within us. 
See, if we stay with formalism, God, God was saying, Israel, if you stay with formalism too long, it will move to hypocrisy because nobody wants to look bad. And those are the two indictments. And God, was saying, God wasn't saying, I'm going to, to get you for this because you have done this. He just simply said, if you follow this course of action, this is the, going to be the result. I am not going to give you punishment. You're going to earn it. If you go the other way, let me read to you again what Psalm 50, 23 says. He who sacrifices thanks offerings honors me. Being thankful about what God has done and being thankful about all the provision he has supplied and thankful for your healing and thankful for your blessing and thank you, thankful for the clothes that you get to wear and the house that you get to live in. Thankful that, that he has redeemed us. Thankful for everything that God does. And, and with that heart of thanksgiving, when you start reminding yourself of all the things that God has done, there's something that happens in our heart. We begin to give praise to God. And as we begin to give praise to God, he gets higher and greater in our lives. And, and, and we see ourselves smaller and we see our circumstances shrink as God increases. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. I told you I wasn't going to preach very long. And I'm a person of my word. Today. Would you stand with me, please? How do you overcome formalism? How do you overcome these things in your life? Being thankful. I, I know there is a a scheme. I, I know there is a, a scheme in football when a team gets far enough ahead they start playing prevent defense. What that means is they decide that they're going to prevent them from getting that one play and they're going to give them the inside, but they're not going to let them beat them by a long play. But in reality, what they're doing is they begin to play to not lose. And I have seen that turn so many times. Because the team that's behind starts getting these little victories, that little five yards here and ten yards there and seven yards there, and something happens in their heart. They believe they can win, and they fight. If you're not in it to win it, if you're playing prevent defense that you're just trying not to lose too much until the Lord comes, the devil is going to have a heyday with you. If you want victory, if you want passion, if you want drive, if you want to see God's work in your life, you have to realize that we're in this thing to win it. That we're not only going to win a crown of righteousness that the Lord has prepared, that the Lord has paid the penalty of for our sins, that we get to live in eternity with Him, but we, you and I, can be used by God. We, we know the war is already won, but what about the battles? I don't know about 
about you, but I'm, I know that the war is, going to, is, is won, and I'm happy about that, and I can't wait to see the devil defeated. But at the same time, I'm not willing to give him one inch. The battle that you're facing right now, I don't, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a spiritual one, whether it's a physical one, whether it's an emotional one, whether it's a financial one, you don't have to give ground to the devil. Stand firm. Be in this thing to win it. If God is true, then he is true. If he said, if you call on me, I will answer. And if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is in this thing and you trust in him, he is going to see you through. Let's trust in Him. Let's trust in Him. Let's trust in Him. I want you to do something for me. Actually, for yourself. I want you to think about a circumstance in your life, whether it's you, your family. Maybe you have somebody that you know that that you're working with, somebody that needs the Lord. Maybe there's a circumstance in somebody's life. Can we take that before the Lord right now? Can we take it before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm trusting in you. I'm in this battle to win this battle. And I know that I will not make a move until you tell me. But when you tell me to move, I'm going to move. And when you tell me to speak, I'm going to speak. And when you tell me to to befriend somebody, I'm going to befriend them. Whatever you tell me to do, that is what I'm going to do. My friends, there is not a greater feeling in the world to see and to understand that God's hand is at work in your life. And the more you trust in Him, the more you see His hand. Whatever that circumstance may be in your life, I, I wonder right now, would you, would you bring it to the Lord? Would you, would you pray with me?